You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the book of Ephesians. God, thank you for your words through the Apostle Paul uh, in this book to this church. Um, Lord, we pray that you would take your word this morning, that you would speak as you spoke to that church, you would speak to us as a church. And Lord, I pray that you would remove anything from me in this moment that is fleshly or sinful. Pray, God, that you would remove any spiritual hindrances in this room that would be barriers to us hearing the truth of the gospel, being challenged by the picture of Christ at the cross, and being encouraged in what Jesus is doing and wants to do. Pray, God, that you would just <clears throat> paint clear picture of the gift of salvation for us. Um, take this message, Father, and shine light on yourself. Make yourself famous in our hearts and our lives this morning. We pray that and we trust you to do it. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. So this week is our third week in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. In case you've missed the central theme of the last few weeks. We've been honing in on kind of this one uh, simple truth that salvation is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. Titles of the sermons have been very simple. The gift, part one, part two, and this week now part three. Um, To keep us honed in on that principle that salvation is a gift. In week one, we learned that salvation is a, is a gift, right? It's, it's given to us by God's free grace, and it's received through the pipeline of faith. And then in week two, which was last week, um, and I will say ahead of time as I dive into what we learned last week in week two, thank you to a few of you that were in our gathering in gospel community this week to help me to rethink the way I was framing that. So you might notice change in wording from last week's big idea the gift of salvation results. That was the problem. I used the word results twice, and I'm thankful for the help that you guys give me. Um, the gift of salvation results in humility, and humility is cultivated. Better word, right? Um, humility is cultivated by resting in the truth that God's doing plus God's working plus God's results equals God's glory. So that's kind of the big idea the last two weeks, those two thoughts put together that we've been studying and learning and looking at. So look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 with me. Let's read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Kind of a big idea uh, for this week from verse 10. I think the handouts are on your tables, and if there aren't enough on your table, Grab one off the table next to you. Um, But the big idea for this week from verse 10 is that the gift of salvation reveals the master behind the masterpiece of our lives. That's kind of the big idea for this week, summing up this week and bringing all three weeks together. The gift of salvation reveals the master behind the masterpiece of our lives. But before we head into that, I want to bring us back to that central truth and this central principle or theme that salvation is a gift from God. Salvation is a free gift. God's grace is a free gift. The faith he gives you is a free gift. 
Salvation by grace through faith is one gigantic free gift from our Father in heaven. You can't do anything to earn this gift. You can't work hard enough to earn this gift. You can't manufacture the grace to get this gift. You can't muster up enough faith to get this gift. No amount of good deeds done by you or I can balance the scales enough for you or I to deserve this gift of salvation. It's free. It's a free gift. The gift of salvation by grace costs you absolutely nothing because it costs Jesus absolutely everything. It cost him absolutely everything when he went to the cross for you and I. So it cost us nothing. See, if it was Christ's blood and body broken and poured out at that cross plus anything, not free anymore. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, man, they, they made a master plan of salvation long before the details of the plan of creation were ever made. They thought of you and I before ever thinking about anything else they would create. That master plan of salvation, it includes the images of every person that God planned to give the gift of salvation to. We're coming to the Christmas season. Right? You, don't, you don't buy gifts and put them under the tree and go, man, I just, you know, whoever, whoever comes and grabs that gift gets it. And you buy those gifts with somebody's face in your head, right? I'm going to get this for this person. It includes the images of every person that God planned to give the gift of salvation to. If you are a Christian, and I'll even go on a limb and say this too, pick on me for the way that I'm saying it, it's fine, we can talk about it. If you're a Christian, even if you aren't a Christian, um, but you sense that, that God, the God of the universe, is calling out to you, then I think that you can rest assured that you are a part of his master plan of salvation. You are priceless because the priceless blood of Jesus was poured out on the cross of Calvary for you. You are priceless because God created you and he paid the price to purchase you. You are twice owned by the God of creation. You've been adopted from the pawn shop of Satan, sin, and death. That is a gift. And that's a giver worth bragging about. Yeah? This week as we hone in on verse 10, what the Apostle Paul does here is says that God has given us the gift of salvation because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There are four distinct phrases in this verse that act like brush strokes, brush strokes on a, on a canvas. It's almost like God in his unique and creative way uses the Apostle Paul here like a paintbrush, paint four distinct phrases onto a canvas so that we can see the beauty and the grandness of the gift of salvation. I'm going to take them one at a time. Number one, we are his workmanship. We are his 
workmanship, his workmanship. Another word for workmanship, if you were to look it up, is masterpiece. Think about the word masterpiece for a minute. When I think about the word masterpiece, I think of a beautiful home or, or a skyscraper or, or a piece of art uh, in an art gallery or maybe, uh, maybe an awesome song on the radio from one of my favorite artists, right? Um, or a beautiful sword maybe or, 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 or a juicy nine-course meal with a steak. <laughs> but when I think of all those masterpieces, my mind is immediately caught up with the image of the master architect or the master painter or the master songwriter or the, or, or, or the master welder or the, or the master chef, right? In other words, when I, when I see a masterpiece, I'm not just in awe of the masterpiece itself. I'm in awe of the master behind the piece. That's the theme behind the theme of the gift of salvation for us. When God gives someone the gift of salvation, he gives that gift to that person because that person is his masterpiece. That person is his work of art. That person is his handiwork. That person is his creation. That person is his design. The purpose of God's masterpiece is to bring attention not to the masterpiece itself, it's to bring attention to the master behind the masterpiece. Think about it. Think about it. God takes little lumps of unformed clay and he shapes them into priceless wine glasses. God takes wandering sheep and he transforms them into a peaceful and loving family. God takes broken people and he designs them into some of the most powerful gospel communicators on the planet. God, God takes selfish people and he makes them into generous people. God takes enemies and turns them into family. Now, now when we see these things happening, don't we typically stand in awe of the God who's handiwork is on display, right? Don't we catch our breath in those moments when we, when, we, when we just witness a work of art by a master craftsman? Doesn't it take your breath away to see someone move away from being an enemy or, or, or of God or, or a child of wrath? Doesn't it, doesn't it cause you to go, whoa, and stop you and, and, and cause you to, to like get your attention on God then and say, man, man look, look, look what God did here. This, this happened for us this morning beautifully in the midst of prayer uh, in, in a way that I can't describe for you. Happened, happened beautifully for us. Uh, we, were, we were overcome and overwhelmed by, by the presence of God um, as, he, as he did things tangibly. Um, that that's what's supposed to happen. That's supposed to happen because that's what gifts do. Gifts take our breath away. Gifts, gifts cause an emotional response even. Gifts leave us in awe of the gift giver, the person who gives the gift to us. 
It's not just that we're in awe of the gift, but we're also in awe of the gift giver. I remember the day that my wife got me a motorcycle. I loved the motorcycle. The gift was awesome. But man, I, that's my wife. Oh, Christy. Yeah, right? Um, I was in awe of the gift giver. Well, obviously, my wife didn't buy for me because she wanted to be cool in my life, you know. <laughs> but that's, that's inevitably what happened. When Paul says that we are God's workmanship, it's supposed to take our breath away as we come face to face with the master of the masterpiece. The gift of salvation reveals the master behind the masterpiece of our lives. Now, number two, second phrase, is that we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. This phrase gets at the purpose for which we've been created. I mean, ask yourself, why does a blacksmith spend so much time creating an intricate knife in the first place? Why, why does a carpenter give his life to, to framing houses and making things out of wood? Well, why does a young couple spend so much time dreaming about making a baby? The answer overwhelmingly to all these questions is that all of us intrinsically have a sliver of God's creativity in us. And the reason we love to create things is because the things we create have a purpose. The family tree that my wife painted in our home on the wall has a purpose. The car, that was, um, the, the car that was made by that car manufacturer uh, was made with a purpose. The coffee on the back table that was made by people early this morning, that, that was made for a purpose. No different for you and I. According to this passage, God created us with a purpose, and that purpose was good works. We've been created to do good works. We've been created to reflect the goodness of God in our doing and in our working. Now, some of us think uh, that we don't do much good at all. Some of us struggle in this area as you think about this. Uh, we, we think, you know, I, I just work at Walmart, or I, 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 just, I just work in a factory all day, or I just work at a gas station, or I just work doing odd jobs, or in a restaurant, or fiddling with numbers on a computer, or taking care of kids at home all day. And, we, and, and when, we, when we think that this is all we're doing, we wind up shortchanging the glory of God by downplaying the good work that God created us to do. Follow me? Um, there's another pendulum swing in this too because there's others of us in this room, um, and, I, and I can get stuck in either one of these boxes, uh, depending on which way the wind is blowing maybe or how much sleep I got last night. I don't know. But others of us get stuck thinking about all the bad things that we actually do. Um, uh, we think, like, I got angry with my spouse today, or I had that lustful thought today, or I got so frustrated with my coworker today, or, or we begin to, begin to think and, and, like, contemplate and kind of get stuck in this category, like, I lived in self-pity today. And when, when we do that, when we get stuck there, we do the same thing again. We shortchange the good things that God wants to do through us today. A Hebrews makes a really good point that, hey, as long as it is today, that's the day that you should rest in God and obey the gospel. Like, Hebrews is pretty clear in that. As long as it's called today, that's the day we should get after this. We wind up kind of getting stuck in these ditches, oftentimes, of despair on one side or minimalizing 
um, what God actually is doing and wants to do through us. Like We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what Paul's saying here. When you receive the gift of salvation, you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Your purpose used to be living selfishly for yourself. But, but now, that, now that the gift of salvation has been given to you, you've been repurposed, retooled, remade. You're a new creation. You're repurposed now not to live for your old selfishness that you used to live for yourself, but now to live for Christ with new life, new purpose. Your old life is gone. Your new life has begun. Before receiving the gift of salvation, you were a lump of useless steel laying in the corner getting rusty with sin. Now that you receive the gift of salvation, the master creator has refashioned you into a sharp sword ready for battle. Like If you receive the gift of salvation, then you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works are your purpose and the purpose, listen to this, don't, don't miss this. Good works are your purpose, and the purpose of your good works is to point to the master of the masterpiece. So, so really you could say, big overarching category, and reformers loved this statement, the chief end of all man and all men is to what? Somebody got it. Somebody's got to have it. It's glorify God, right? Yeah, it's glorify God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. All I've done is I've taken a little bit of a side road to get us there and show how our good works are what we've been purposed for, and those good works have been purposed to bring glory to God and God alone. Get to salvation reveals the master behind the masterpiece of our lives. Number three, <coughs> God prepared our good works beforehand. Oh, this is great. I love this point. This is fun to think about. God prepared our good works beforehand. When, when the Apostle Paul uses this phrase, it reminds me that I'm not an accident. That, that's what gets elicited inside of me. Reminds me that I'm not an accident. I'm not an afterthought. I'm not a mistake. The master behind the masterpiece of my life made me on purpose. I wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. I, I am not the product of leftover scraps. So encouraging for me to know that. Isn't it for you? Right? I see, I can see it in your faces, I know. It's so good to be reminded of that. I, we need to remind each other of this. This is one of the ways that we could speak the truth of the gospel to one another daily, weekly, through text, phone call, in gospel community, whatever it may be. We, we need to speak the truth that you're not a mistake. Right? We need to speak the truth of that to ourselves and to others daily. Like when Paul says, I'm going to put some passages together. It's not on the screen, but I'm going to put some passages together. I hope you go look them up. When Paul says that God prepared our good works beforehand here in verse 10, okay, and then he moves to Colossians 1, 15 through 17, which by the way, Colossians is like the twin sister of Ephesians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. And when he says there, my summary of what he says there is that all things are created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. That's my summary of what Paul said in a very lengthy way. And then when John, the Apostle John, says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, 
When John says there that Jesus is God and that all things were made through him, I get the sense that you and I are not mistakes. Just putting those three passages together from those authors. God prepared our good works beforehand. All things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Jesus is God, and all things were made through him. We are not accidents. We are not afterthoughts. The master behind the master plan of your life made you on purpose. We are not knee-jerks reactions to a world gone mad. We're not leftovers. We are masterpieces meant to bring attention to the master of the masterpiece of our lives. Now, now the truth, according to, I think, the ninth chapter of Romans also, is that God is the master builder, the master architect, the master artist behind everything that has been created. And people, you and I, we are the crowning achievement or crowning jewels of all of creation. Some objects of his creation have been created for honorable use, and other objects of his creation have been created for dishonorable use. Nevertheless, everything in all of creation have been created for the glory of God. All of creation, whether honorable or dishonorable, has been designed to point our attention upwards to God. God laid out his plan like a master architect, a master artist. And in that plan, he included the good works that you and I are called to do now. As God made the blueprints for that plan, he included in those blueprints our good works. That's what Paul's telling us. This was, this was done beforehand. Now, when an architect draws up the blueprints, I want you to shift your thinking to catch this illustration. When an architect draws up the blueprints of a brand new home or a brand new office space, uh, he, he actually plans the good works. If you think about it, he plans the good works that those masterpieces will perform. The boardroom. Blueprints for a boardroom meant to perform the work of housing business meetings, Right? The bathroom. Do I have to go any further? <laughs> the blueprints for the bathroom. Man, it's, it's designed to perform the good work of personal relief. <laughs> the bedroom is, 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 is meant to perform the work of rest. Amen, right? Sometimes, sometimes those rooms don't get used for the good work that they were designed for. That doesn't mean that that architect didn't design them for that good work. It doesn't mean that those rooms can't still be used for that good work. Those rooms simply need to be what? Redeemed. Right? That's the beauty of the gift of salvation. As God uses Paul to paint this picture. That's, that's the painting, the God's painting. When I, when I think of the gift of salvation as it connects to this phrase regarding good works, I, it kind of wrecks me <laughs> in a good way. 
Like God knew every sinful desire. Just think about the weight of that. He knew every sinful desire that I would have. But God knew every sinful act that I would perform. He, he knows every sinful desire and every sinful act that I will perform in the future. He knows that I will not perform the way he designed me to perform. And yet, he designed me with the capacity to do the good things that he has called me to do despite my weaknesses, despite my failures, and despite my frailties. He sent Jesus to the cross to redeem me so that I could then become the person he's called me to be and designed me to be and then do the things that he created me to do. That's a radical picture of grace. As I unwrap the gift of salvation in these three verses and specifically in this third verse, this tenth verse, this third week, I'm awestruck. Deep down inside that package, as I unwrap it, I find that God has prepared all of my good works beforehand. He did not save me and then turn me loose to try to make it on my own. He gave me his spirit to enable me and to animate me to perform the good works he created me for. God not only saves me, but he also gives me a new work list. And he doesn't only uh, just give me a new work list, but he also gives me the energy and the ability to do what he's called me to do in the power and the presence of the gift of his very own spirit. It's all one great, big, gigantic gift. How's that for catching a glimpse of the master's work behind the masterpiece of our lives? Number four, fourth brush stroke. God prepared good works so that we should walk in them. I really love this portion of it too. For lots of reasons that I really don't have time to go into, but and God prepared good works so that we should walk in them. In this last phrase, what's happening is Paul has given us a little taste. A little taste, if you like food as a masterpiece, or a little glimpse if you like visual things as a masterpiece, okay? So just to move your thinking, we get a little taste or, or, or a small glimpse of the, of the rest of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The themes of this letter could be rightly summed up in three words. Sit, walk, stand. Sit, walk, stand. Watchman Nee wrote a book about that. Still haven't read it. People keep telling me you go read it. I will. <laughs> sit, walk, stand. If you have received the gift of salvation, then you are seated. Right now, you're all seated. If you receive the gift of salvation, then you have been seated in your new identity with Christ in heaven. In this very moment, right now, you are perfect. That's your identity. That's who you are, regardless of what you just thought a second ago regardless of what you looked at on your computer screen last night, regardless how you got mad at your spouse or your children this morning on the way to church, in God's eyes, your identity is not failure, it's perfect. 
That's your new identity. You sit in that. Therefore, you are called to what? Walk. This is who you are. Walk like that person. Don't walk like the old person anymore. And when you walk like the old person, recognize that and start walking like the new person that God actually says you are because that's actually who you are. This is your new identity. That's where you're seated. Therefore, you're called to walk like that as well as stand in your new faith. Sit, walk, stand. Now, to be clear, here's what I think is happening here in this, uh, in this 10th verse that we're looking at. Uh, Paul doesn't launch into a full diatribe, right? It doesn't launch into the full aspects of what it means to walk like a new person. And he doesn't even do that until chapter 4. We're in the first 10 verses of chapter 2, okay? Just, if you can catch a picture of the Apostle Paul sitting in prison, right, writing this letter, he's chained to a Roman guard. He knows what he wants to say to the Ephesian church, like you or I writing a letter from a, a, a personal place of suffering and persecution. And we, we're saying these final things to the people we love the most, right? And he's writing, I could see him sometimes going, no, no, that's not, not, not right. It's not right. And he crumbles up and throws away, starts all over again, right? I can see him doing that. Whether he did that or not, I don't know. It's a little artistic play on my part, right? But I can just see the intensity with which Paul is writing. He's in the seated. Man, I want them to know who they are. They got to get this. Because if they don't get this, they're never going to walk. If I start with walk, they're just going to start walking and think it's all about their walk. And they're going to forget about the fact that it's really about who they are so that they then can walk and stand, right? And so I can just see him in the midst of this in, in this chapter. He's not launching into the full aspect of it. But in one phrase, one phrase, right in the very heart and middle of unpacking identity and where you're seated, it's like the Apostle Paul just can't contain it anymore. And he just he lets one phrase slip right? <laughs> By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Walking is all about performance. You perform the act of walking by placing one foot in front of the other. Sometimes slowly, if you've been injured. Sometimes quickly, if you're in good shape. God has prepared our good works so that we can walk in them sometimes slowly, especially at first, and sometimes quickly, especially in special seasons of God's grace. Think about your own journey of learning to walk. Like a child learns to walk very slowly. And they often fall down because their wobbly legs are weak. We've got a few of them in our church right now probably. They're just starting to get there, right? But as a child gets older, as a child matures, just think about the years that it takes for a child to mature into a pretty decent walker, right? As their legs strengthen, they begin to walk much better than they did before. doesn't mean they walk perfectly. Personally, personally, I still stumble around my house sometimes. I have a hard time walking. Because I either A, get off balance, B, I'm getting old, which is true, or C, uh, my muscles are sore from working out. I, I get up slow, and I'm like, oh, and I look like a little kid or an old man. I don't know. 
the same way with Christian journey. It's no different with our Christian journey, with our spiritual life. We get impatient, truth, with ourselves and with each other. But we're just like little children learning how to walk. We're just like a young child who practices walking from the couch to his mom's arms every day. That, that's the picture of what our spiritual journey is like. And it should never change from that, really. It really shouldn't change from that. The problem is sometimes we start thinking, man, I'm, I'm so mature, I got this down, right? We don't need mom's arms over there. We're really, just like a little boy who learns how to run across that room, sometimes biffs it in the middle of the room. That's really what our journey is like, no matter whether you've been following Jesus for 15 seconds, 15 minutes, or 15 years, doesn't matter. If we are going to biff it, that's all there is to it. We are called to walk out our salvation in fear and trembling as we fall into the arms of the master builder of the masterpiece of our lives. The gift of salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ at the cross. It's it's the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God that that compels us to walk. We don't walk on our own. Paul's going to make this so clear later. We walk by the Spirit, walk by our own strength. We walk by the Spirit as He fills us and enables us, energizes us to walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling. In other words, walk in a manner that is worthy of your identity. Walk in a manner that is worthy of who you actually are. Right? When God calls us to follow Him, He calls us to walk with Him. Think about that. When God calls us to follow Him, it's actually a call to come walk with Him. If you're walking with Jesus, then you will see a noticeable difference in the direction that you are walking. If you're walking with Jesus, you'll see a noticeable difference in the direction that you are walking. In terms of our walking out these good works, we will sometimes sprint like gazelles and other times crawl like caterpillars. But the emphasis of our walk isn't placed upon the speed of our walk. That's the problem for us. It should never be on the speed of our walk. It's about the direction of our walk. You you miss that point and you get stuck worrying about the speed of your walk. And then you start doing it in your own strength rather than walking in the strength of the Spirit. I can preach it so passionately. Like, I got this down. Oh, how I wish I could tell you that were true. <laughs> Man, I got to hear this. I got I to hear this every day. Sometimes we'll sprint like gazelles. Other times we'll just crawl like caterpillars and bloody fingertips, crawl across the dirty ground. Walking in the good works that God prepared for us beforehand is the purpose we were created for, because when we walk in these good works, we walk in a new direction, and the direction that we're walking is towards God. And as we walk in that new direction, what happens is what? We, we bring attention to Jesus. This is how 
The gift of salvation reveals the master behind the masterpiece of our lives. That's how. Summary. Summary of all this. Is that the gift of salvation points us to the master of the masterpiece of our lives. We are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared our good works beforehand. God prepared those good works so that we should walk in them. And listen, walking in good works is all about the direction, not the speed. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's not about our works. It's about His work. It's not about what we can complete. It's about what he already completed. It's not about what we can finish. It's about what he finished. It's not about our speed. It's about his direction. The gift of salvation reveals the master behind the masterpiece of our lives. I'm looking for Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 just came into my head. Yeah, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. And actually, let me take it back up to verse 3 and work down through verse 6 without preaching this forever. Just as a final word to encourage you, I want you to hear this. Such an encouragement for me over the years. I thank my God in all my remembrance. This is Paul again, still in prison. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And here, verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Don't you need to hear that again, right? And he, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It's not about the speed of the walk, it's about the direction. I can tell you this. If God is the master architect of your life and you're his masterpiece, there ain't nothing that's going to stop him from completing you. You are his work. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, gosh, you, you're so good to us. Man, you're so good to us. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you, thank you so much just for the special evidences of your, gosh, of your grace among us, Lord. It's just special evidences of you just like popping up as, as, as I preach your word and as I, as even, as, as even as I hear it myself, it's like I, I hear it fresh. Um. You, you, you are the master artist. Lord, we just trust you to take this word and take this passage, take our time together, and we just trust you to do with it what you choose and plan to do with it. And I pray, God, that you would protect us. You would encourage, challenge, fortify, strengthen, renew, rebuild, restore, reconcile. Pray that you would do that work. Bring us to that place where we just, man, we just see you. And even as we come into communion here in a few moments, God, just make the cross of Christ and your work done there as you made the gift of salvation available to us. Eh. 
Man, paint that picture so broad for us. Humble us in these moments. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.